This is The Essential Guide to Surviving Humanity with Michelle Frost and Gareth Wax. So today we are covering the small subject of religion. Tiny. (laughs) And it's going to be broken into two episodes, we decided, with me covering Christianity in episode one and Gareth covering Judaism in episode two. Yeah. I was brought up a Christian. Mm Mm-hmm to two different parents, I guess, in terms of their own faith. Uh, My mother was an evangelist in that she converted in her 20s. Yeah, uh. And those that convert tend to be a bit more evangelical, passionate about uh, religion. Do you know anything about what prompted her to convert in the first place? Do you know what? I was thinking about that. And I do... I I have this vague memory that she told me that she um, spent some time in a convent when she was in France. She did a lot of um, tour guiding. And that there was something about spending time in that convent that made her convert. I don't really know the true background. It's interesting. My father, on the other hand, was an Irish Catholic brought up in a very strict, cold Irish family. His religion was really about denial. I remember Lent, around Lent, and Monday, Thursday was the day where we had... So you have Ash Wednesday when you have the ashes on your forehead. I don't know anything about this. You're going to have to explain. It's to remind us of our sin. Oh. And of how Christ died because of our sin. Okay. But why the ashes? Uh, again, it's just it's so that we can it can be seen by others. Oh, okay. So, so it's, it's like simple. a mark. Thursday was the washing of the feet, where we had our feet washed by the priests, and then you had Good Friday, and you're meant to confess in that week. You go into a little box and you confess to a priest. And my father would go into this deep, dark place, and we always used to say, "Well, what has Dad got to confess? You know, he lives this very." introverted bachelor type existence what has he got to confess so i stopped going after a while but actually confession is a huge part of catholicism it thrives on the basis that everyone feels guilty all of the time Mm. Mm. yes so and that brings to mind a dave allen sketch around a slightly surreal nonsensical aspect of christianity we're meant to kind of absorb all of this at the age of about four and this is wonderful sketch he does where he describes himself as this little boy of four arriving at this monastery with these huge wooden doors and this nun coming towards him i was brought up in a closed convent what's a closed convent a closed convent is where literally the nuns cannot leave the building they cannot leave the site so it's almost like a prison yeah yeah it is under any circumstances so surgery going to the hospital would be the only reason why they're allowed to leave wow. and that's a huge thing Can't Carmelite nuns, what were they like? They were terrifying, actually, when I think about it. They were like spectres, so they were all dressed in layers and layers of white cassocks, and they sort of flapped, and they had these wimples, which just showed a little sort of moon-like face. Wow. All wizened. I get the sense that they were elderly, that they probably weren't. They just had these pale white translucent skin uh-huh. and they'd sort of flap and they'd sort of hover off the corridor. So about two or three inches off the ground. Exactly. That's, that's terrifying. That's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I remember Mother Mary Margarita. Gosh. She tied, Teresa was her name. I think she peed herself, but she tied Teresa to a chair with her hands behind her back. And Who's she was, Teresa? Teresa was a little girl in my class. She tied Teresa to a chair she did. She because did. Teresa had peed herself. Either she peed herself because she was tied to the chair. I just have this very, very clear picture of this little girl being tied to a wooden chair. Yeah, and under this chair was a puddle. I have this very clear image of that. Did that horrify you when you saw that? Do you know what? I think at the time it was just normal. These nuns were cruel, and we knew that. Mary Mother Margarita, 
it's quite a mouthful she she was she had a sense of fun she was italian and she had this cane that she would hold on her hand it was kind of a two-way thing so she was trying to keep this cane up as long as possible on her hand and we would then learn to count one two three four and then she'd drop it and we'd start again but in sense in terms of sort of punishment and cruelty it's all i'd known from the age of four really what you're saying they normalized that whole they did. Aspect. They did. Let's bring a bit of humour into this. Going back to Dave Allen's sketch about what we're expected as children to accept as reality, as the truth, right. and the nonsensical aspect of it. Yes. So he arrives, and this terrifying nun looms down on him and says, "Do you know who God is?" And he goes, "No, sister. We have an atheist here." Do you know who God is? No, I don't. God is everywhere. He is here. He is everywhere. The little boy goes, I can't see him. That doesn't matter. He's still here, he says. Well, is he under the <laughs> stairs? No, he is not under the stairs. Is he, is, he, is he in the cupboard? He is not in the cupboard. <laughs> and she goes on to say, God is, God was, and God always be. What the hell does that mean? Exactly. He is the Father, he is the Son, and he's the Holy Ghost. He is all in one. Once again, no idea what she's on about. And and then the sister says, you know, this is sort of his early initiation. Are you going to be a good boy? And little David looks at the cross and there's this man, you know, a young man, crucified, blood coming from his hands and feet. And he goes, of course I'm going to be a bloody good boy. So it's all about punishment. It's, it's utterly uncompromising. It's thou shalt not, thou shalt, the commandments, all of this. Well, it does seem to be the balance is always held based on the fact that you are righteously sorry for something that you have no idea what you've done, all these sins, and that you're living in fear of eternal damnation, mm -hmm. burning in hell. Because why did Christ die? He died because of our sins. I never got that. Never got that. I always thought, was it necessary for a person to obviously hurt himself and, and create a whole lot of pain and misery just to say, and this is to point at you, this is pointing the big old finger at you and saying, this is your fault. Mm. I'm dying because of you. The greatest sacrifice. I think we're meant to believe, aren't we, that as Christians that we died with sin, but so because of Adam and Eve, we were born as... With mortal sin. Yes, exactly. So we're stained, I guess is the word. From the get-go. From the beginning, yes. You, so. you already start with the die loaded against you. The nuns were very good at putting the fear of God into us. The nun says to the little boy, have you ever burnt your finger? And the little boy goes, yes, yes, I remember, and it was really painful. It burnt my finger here. If you go to hell, imagine that for the whole of your body. Now that really just does articulate how we live as Christians in fear of suffering. But then it was all right to terrify a little boy who'd done no harm to anything. And you know what? It works. To some extent, it works. You kind of understand that the best thing to do is keep quiet, put your head down. You're not starting to sound like an apologist for the Carmelite nuns now, are you? <laughs> not. No. In fact, I do remember, it's come to me now, Mother Mary Helen, she used to call me Gappy. I never liked that. I've never forgotten that. She used to call me Gappy because I had a gap in my teeth. Gappy? Gappy. I, you know, as little girls have, you have a gap in your teeth. Yes, of course, but I never heard of somebody calling called Gappy. No, but she, okay. was, she was cruel. But I do remember... One morning in assembly, it was announced that Mother Mary Helen was no longer. I mean, she'd left, she'd managed to escape. And there was this myth going around that she got out through the window. But I always wonder what happened to Mother Mary Helen. She probably became an accountant. <laughs> or married, <laughs> married <laughs> well or something. <laughs> it must have made a deep imprint on you. I can only say that it must have left its mark. How has this affected you in normal everyday life? Good question. I think it's affected, well, many of my relationships. Okay. In that 
happiness is not something that I deserve somehow. Happiness is, Catholicism was all about denial. So the more you deny yourself, the closer you are to God. You said your father basically grew up knee deep in the in the Egyptian river. <laughs> it was, it was, in, it was absolutely in denial, right? Yeah. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> but fasting every Friday, no food, the more, and, the, and the more you sacrifice, the closer you are to God. I suppose what I found hard, my mother was able to really find her fulfilment to somehow be fulfilled in terms of her own lack of love in Jesus. She she always says she has talks about it now that she has this very close relationship with Jesus. But isn't that an old story? I've I've often heard of people who have a falling out in their own life, that part of their own life becomes dysfunctional. And the way they, they kind of pad out that space, the way they give themselves meaning is by looking toward a, a transparent, non-existent deity to try and give that their life meaning. Mm. Yes. Well, it's an old story, yes? It is, and I think experiencing it as a child, seeing your mother turn to the church instead of you, it's much easier to love a figure on a cross that of can't course. judge you. Yeah, not only that, but, but that figure on the cross and, and his dad well, they've got no real way of communicating with you anyway. Everything is done via inference. And my mother, she has an answer for everything. So if something wonderful happens, that's Christ. You know, that's Christ at work. Something awful happens, then we're being tested by Christ. I never understood that. I mean, I remember watching Stephen Fry talking at length about this. He was doing a, a thing for Intelligence Squared, which is a dramatic debate uh, between the Catholic Church on the one side and people like him, atheists, agnostics, on the other side. And the whole basis of it was, is there a place in the modern world for the teachings of the Catholic Church? A bishop has stood up and said, well, you know, about all, all this, we're being tested and we should stay strong and all the rest of it, and we, we can help other people get through this terrible time. And, and I think Stephen Fry's uh, comment was along the lines of, how can you say any of this is testing? Is it testing when, when a baby is born with cancer in the eye? Is it testing when thousands die because they've contracted a disease brought to their shores by people who happened upon them in the same way as the British happened upon parts of the world when they were all conquering? Is that being tested? Well, how can you explain the suffering of children? It's nightmare. Uh, as, as a Christian, you know, it's very hard. It I'm amazed that people hang on to their faith in the face of that. I think it's very attractive it's very alluring this idea that you know jesus died on the cross and therefore with his resurrection it will offer us eternal life it's a very alluring concept i think people who refer to eternal life haven't thought it through can you imagine after the first millennium or so you'd be so bored i don't really have a concept of heaven we tend to we tend to sort of as i say focus on hell but coming back to your question about has it affected my life i think really probably my own identity has been affected when i'm asked what's your faith i struggle am i a christian do i believe that christ existed i think his teachings are great yes love thy neighbor forgive thy enemies repent do as to others as you would hang on yourself. you slip repent in there do you think repent's a good one i think it's okay to be sorry you know to admit that we're wrong yeah but repent means at some point defined something or other as being a sin and something else as not being a sin because you can only repent a sin can you not it might be i've been accused of being a literalist before now <laughs> I, I don't mean to be a pedant but isn't that the case it's a very loaded word isn't it it's ah. a very loaded so i feel guilty if i say well no i'm no longer practicing I, I put it that way i no longer practice i was brought up catholic but i no longer practice that sort of feels okay but when it comes to filling in the equal opportunities form Oh my God, there's a real <laughs> conflict there. So it goes, doesn't it? Sikh, Hindu, Buddhist. 
other. other. And that's the one I tick now. But when I do, I feel a sense of deep betrayal to all of those that supported me. You know, the nuns, the priests, the, my, my, my parents to some extent. I betrayed them. Somehow. You feel like you're letting them down? I feel like I'm turning my back on them. But can you, in, a, in your mind's eye, having recounted some of your youth just now, can you not see that that is the right way to go to, to turn your back on them? They were bastards. Well, you know what? I was brought up in, a, in an abbey in Ealing with, again, a closed monastery. And what I remember, and I'm probably there was probably bad times too, but the good times were these 10.30 mass, incense burning, Gregorian chant, the priests processing slowly up the aisle with the choir boys. The priest, the holy sacrament in this in this little box. It was just very theatrical and very exotic. And yeah, and uplifting. Yeah, 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 yeah. and all I, that. You know, I would feel transcended. And coming from a very staid academic background, which was cold, and there was no love. There was not really a sense of community. So I know for my parents, it gave them a sense of community, belonging to something. Totally, and I, I guess. When I read there, when I read the, whatever it was, the passages from the Bible, yeah. there was some sense of this is a good thing. You know, when I say I'm spiritual, what does that really mean? What does that mean for me? It's so hard to describe. It's, it's something, there's a sense of a higher consciousness, of something bigger than me, maybe even just a, simply a universal consciousness, a sense of divent, divinity. Yeah. And where do I find that? I find that when I go inside and I kind of find this sense of, it's the music, though, isn't it? It's partly the music, and that helps you get in touch with what the soul is. And I think the sense of soul, the true essence, who we really are, without all the masks of upbringing and, and mm. conditioning, that's something to hold on to. I think. I think something we've said in the past, and I'm going to echo it here, the most beautiful music, and being a musician, I'm particularly keyed into that, the most beautiful music has been as a result of divine worship or belief. And in reverence to God and and, and, to, and all the stories. So you've got the Messiah, the creation. Mm-hmm. Um, the procession of Christ. I, th- I know there's a lot of music it, written around that. Yeah. The stages yeah. of the cross. Yeah. Uh, and also, of course, music devoted to specific, supposedly Christian times of year. Mm-hmm. Although it should be noted, dear listener, that most of them have been hijacked from whichever was the local tradition at that time. Easter being classic one, uh, Christmas being hijacked from Yule, and so on. Mm, uh, mm. But even so, uh, and in answer, did Christ exist? I'm an agnostic, or even some might term an atheist. I believe he existed, and I think he had some great ideas. Where humanity falls flat on its face is when it takes an idea and turns it into doctrine. Mm. And coming back to the idea of the teaching, which Jesus' teaching is you know, very much in line of lots of current philosophers and teachers and gurus some of it is Mm. a good portion of it is Mm. i'd say a majority of it the problem is a lot of religious texts if you take them even in context are fairly horrific and uh not from the new testament mostly from the old testament so i hold my hand up to that being jewish but uh if you took the letter of what was written you would be extraordinarily worried Mm. frankly i have a quote here from john paul ii Pope John Paul II. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because if we were to replace the word Jesus with something else, may it be love or friendship or... Something esoteric. Yes. So this is how it goes. It is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provoked you with that thirst 
for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of false life. It is he who reads in your heart your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be ground down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. Very universal message, really. Yeah, I get that. The one thing I rail against in any of those kind of texts is the need for someone to be the inspiration for these feelings, ideas or concepts. I know there are people who need that, and that's why I think it's probably a good idea that religion of some sort exists because otherwise these kind of people would feel lost mm, so and, right. and no one of, wants to feel lost no and i think of my mother it's her crutch it's been her saving grace really this being part of something so i think when it comes to surviving religion this has probably been the hardest one i've said before it feels like it's sort of tentacles have attached itself to me and whenever i think that i've managed to break loose from those chains as it were it just comes back to haunt me yeah so how do i survive it I take the good bits and I discard the, the ones that don't serve me. And I remember the beautiful music and the beautiful architecture and the sense of community that it's given my parents. And I'm, I'm constantly reinventing myself in terms of what do I really believe? So it'd be really nice to end this with one of my favourite pieces of music, which is Agnes Day. That'd be lovely. This has been The Essential Guide to Surviving Humanity with Michelle Frost and Gareth Wax. Thank you very much.